We're spending a few weeks in a series called Marriage 360. I know I told you all a few weeks ago, and, and I told you that it was kind of um, developing. It was in progress. And, and one of the things that we heard right away, we honestly, and I don't know if this is true, we heard some people who were excited about a marriage you know, series. Oh, I'm so glad you did a marriage series, because we all have in our minds what it's going to be. And then we heard some groaning from people like, oh, a marriage series, <laughs> you know, like we presume to know. Um, I've been amazed by how it's not been what I, what I thought it would be necessarily. Um, it, God has had a, a bit of a different plan for us as we um, kind of walk through this concept of marriage. And the question, and the reason it's called Marriage 360, is the question, is, it comes from uh, Hebrews 13, which we're going to look at in a minute, but it says marriage should be honored by all. And, and so the question is, well, if it's, we're called to honor marriage, all of us, that means each of us in, in, in total, and it also means we're called to mar- honor all marriages. It's like, well, how can we do that then really? Like, I know the Bible says it, but how do we do it? How do we actually honor marriages uh, among us? And um, uh, last week we talked about how we could honor marriage um, by honoring our parents. And our, we could strengthen marriages by honoring our parents, right? And it's kind of this, it's, it's, I have like the idea of a vertical, you know, because we came after our parents and it's our lineage and maybe our grandparents, our great-grandparents. I mean, are there ways we can celebrate the good things? We talked about that. By the way, our family group had an awesome conversation. And I know our Wednesday night group right now is on break um, because of everyone's traveling and stuff. Uh, but we have family groups on Monday night. Normally on Wednesday night, I think it starts in November again and Thursday nights. And I know that any of our groups would be pleased to have you join them. We start conversations here in the morning on Sunday mornings, but we really kind of put, you know, skin on that in family groups. And so if you're not part of a family group, I'd encourage you to do it. Um, by the way, family groups, some people think, well, I don't have a family. I can't come there. That's not the point of family groups. It's not you have a family so you can come. It's you come and be part of the family. Like that's what we're trying to do is invite people into a, a loving community who will be honest, speak truth and love, mourn, celebrate, do life together. Uh, we've saw, seen so many great things come out of family groups in relationships. And so if you're not part of a family group, um, I would encourage you to uh, to check it out, to come hang out with the family group. And we've even had some people who've tried all the family groups and then kind of picked the one they wanted to go to. You're not going to offend anybody. Come out, spend some time with us and see if, if God's going to bless you through that time. I know that for many of us, we're really, really blessed um, by that. Um, so the second thing is uh, this week, we're going to talk about um, how we can uh, honor marriage or strengthen marriages by respecting our spouse. And, and again, now I know some of you right now, you're probably thinking, well, I don't have a spouse. So I, I shouldn't have come this morning. Anybody don't have a spouse today? Any of you don't have a spouse? Yeah, a few of you. So um, if, if that's true, that, that's, I don't believe that that's true. The Bible applies to all of us, and we can read and understand what Scripture has for us. The, uh, the fun little thing that I have, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, let me see if I push that. Yeah, okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so, um, yeah, I wasn't sure what's going to happen next. So one of the things um, that I loved, and it just kind of came out, was this idea of um, honor your parents and then respect your spouse, right, and how we can do that. And as I was digging around researching, um, I, I thought, well, there's this kind of Christian song uh, that comes to mind when you think about this, right? I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but I want to I play it for you and see if you've heard it maybe before. By the way, this song was made before I was born, so. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah, that's right. Right? What you want? Little respect. See? Come on. That's Aretha Franklin, man. There you go. That's right. Somebody back there wants some respect. That's right. Come on. That's, you know, you know somebody's doing it right whenever 
a white boy like me can get some funk out of the junk. You know what I'm saying? They're doing something right. <laughs> I, was, I was prepping, and I was just like, down. I was like, mm, 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 mm. okay, fair enough. Did you know this, though, by the way? You, who have heard that song before? Who's here? How many of y'all? Yeah, okay. Do you know that, that she didn't originally do the song? Who knew that? Some of you guys, look at you. I had no idea, right? That song was written because I'm thinking, well, is it fair for me to share that? So only the women want respect, right? Only the women want respect. And then I started digging around, and sure enough, check this out. This is the original. Yeah. You're probably thinking they ain't the same song, right? That's the same song. That's the original artist. Otis Redding originally wrote and performed that song. And then he said later, Aretha stole it from him. That's what he said about her performance. He said, she stole that song from me. Not in a bad way because they were uh, kindred spirits. Last thing I'll share with you with this, because I'm just trying to set the stage for what we're talking about when we talk about respect. Because what, what I've already recognized now, I'm very astute. I don't know if you are. That it ain't just women that want respect. Because the dude wrote the song. I want some respect. That's what he was saying in the song. And uh, we can talk about that a little bit, why that is. But then check this out, Aretha. She added this to the song, by the way. This was not in the original. Yeah, her money. Here it comes. Come on. Yeah, we've got some dancing over here. That's not talking about. That's right. I love it that she took a song and she was like, I'm going to spell it for you. And you need to find out what it means to me. <laughs> I love that. I love it. And she added that part uh, to, the, to the song. And actually later on when Otis performed it, he performed it with her additions in it because he liked them so much. So uh, how cool is that? What I love about it is a couple things. And I'll, I'll say this and we will get into the word. Um, so he wrote the song because he felt like he was a hardworking man and, and he'd get no respect in the world and he was upset. He got no respect. But he said, man, when I get home, I want some respect. And I think we hear that. It's funny because the people who are commenting on this video that I, I snagged this from, they were saying, um, I can't believe he repurposed Aretha's uh, feminist, uh, you know, song for a macho male chauvinistic worldview. That wasn't his purpose at all. Like, he wrote this song before Aretha sang it, right? And he said, that's the only place I can find respect is at home. Like, I look for it in the world, but when I get home, I, I need respect. And I don't think he was saying it like we even hear it. I even hear it right now. We don't get any respect, you know? Um, and then Aretha, she was. She was like, hey, we want some respect. Being part of the civil rights movement and became part of the feminist movement. You know, we need respect. We need to be respected for what we bring to the relationship. And then, and then the last thing, which is really crazy, is the song. If you listen to it, it's, it's a double entendre, right? That means it has sexual overtones in the song. And that's on purpose. Because there's something in this relationship, in this husband and wife, in this married, in this, um, for those who are called to marriage, in this relationship, that, that's respect-oriented for everyone. And I just thought that was really cool. Like, all that stuff wrapped up. I said Christian song. You might go, well, that's not a Christian song. 
wrong. Um, but listen, and you can hear it in there. We need respect. And the question then becomes, well, how, how, can, we, how can we do that? Marriage is to be honored by all. How can we, how can we show respect uh, to our spouses? We're going to talk about that today and kind of run through and see what God has for us in his word. Um, now we've had a little fun. We're going to do what we always do because we, we don't, this isn't um, a joke. I mean, this is God speaking. Uh, he inspired his word. He inspired his servants to capture it and to, tran- and to translate it and to give it to us. And man, I don't know where you stand today, but if you think, I, I, I can't understand the Bible or whatever, I'm going to ask you to pray with me where you are right now, for real, everyone in the room, and say, God, would you show me what you have for me today in your word? So pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, as we enter into your word to hear from you about what this means to have respect and to um, respect others, I pray that you would work in our hearts and lives. I pray, Lord, that um, in every way we would surrender ourselves to you, um, from the oldest to the youngest in the room which is a pretty broad spectrum today, Father. I pray that you would work in our lives, that you would give us a word, that we would hear something new, that we would be transformed because we encountered you and your call in our lives. Would you, would you be very clear with us today? Would you, would you bless us today with wisdom from your Holy Spirit? You say that um, you are faithful and you love to answer that prayer for wisdom. Would you give us wisdom, um, not in the ways of the world, but in the ways of your kingdom and, and who we're called to be? Uh, we thank you so much for the time and the gift that we have together in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn, if you would, to Hebrews 13, uh, verse 4. Um, I'm going to have you look at it today because we want to talk about it just for a minute. We talked about this last week, too. Give you a second to get there. It's on page 845 if you're using one of our Bibles in the, in the chairs there. And this we covered last week. It says, marriage should be honored by all. I'm not going to be too redundant in that, but it's just a call to everyone to honor marriage. There's no exemption clause. If you're single, you don't have to honor marriage. If you're, if you're married and don't like it, you don't have to honor marriage. If you're not ever going to be married or, or whatever it is, like this is a, a total kind of all-encompassing statement here. Marriage should be honored by all. And then we're going to read the second part of that verse today. And the, and my translation says, marriage bed kept pure. But I'm going to I'm going kind of quick here, but watch this. So this is what we have. Marriage be honored by all. And then the second thing, and but the word says this, the bed kept pure. And I know last week we kind of, we kind of um, took that first part of the verse and didn't even address anything else in here. But I think this week it's, it's, um, it's wise of us to go ahead and look at what the scripture is saying in its context and say, so, okay, what's that mean? What's that mean? Um, right away, whenever you see that um, this kind of encouragement to the church by the way, Hebrews is written to the Jewish um, believers in Jesus, part of the church, the redeemed. It says that marriage be honored by all, and the bed kept pure. So right away you have this kind of um, uh, encouragement, but also a rebuke, right? Like there's this, there's this thing that we're, we're called to do um, in honoring um, marriage or in, uh, yeah, in honoring marriage. Um, so it's very specific here. So this word bed is interesting, right? Because we, we would think of a bed like a bed that you lie in, and, that, and that's true. But it had this kind of, if you look at other places that word is used in the scriptures, it has this kind of, con- this kind of contextualized thing where it, this is what it means explicitly. And I'm going to tell you, it means the place of conception. That's one way that it's used. So, so the place of conception, that means b- bearing children, should be pure. We're talking about that word in between, by the way, kept also. But, but the other word, interestingly enough, for bed is translated elsewhere, promiscuity. And so it's all encompassing in this idea that um, if you're going to honor marriage and you want to know how to do that, you're going to do it by keeping the bed pure. I told you we're going to spend just a second talking about that idea. So there's this, the, the word kept means that it's, it starts that way, um, that, that it is pure, and then our job is to keep it that way, okay? We're talking about that for, for a minute also. And then what's this word um, pure mean? Uh, and it, it, the way it translates is like uh, untainted, or um, uh, what's the other way? I'll look at here. Um, undefiled. Yeah, that's a kind of a not word we use very often, but it, it's to be kept undefiled, 
to, um, to purity. Um, and the first is that um, it, it's uh, sexually, sexually immoral. And I told you this before, so I know I'm being redundant, so I apologize if you heard it before, but the word in the Greek is pornos. And, and I know that word has connotations for all of us too, but I want to say this. It means a cheapening of something that has high value. You know, last week we talked about how do you honor your parents, and we talked about putting your parents on, on a high shelf. Well, this idea in the Greek of immorality, sexual immorality, is taking something that God says has a lot of value and putting it really low. It's the exact, it's making it cheap and not, not honoring as God intended it. And, and that's just a reality that's found in the Greek. I mean, you, you can see that when you read it and you can look it up for yourself. Don't take my word for it. I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you what the word says. Um, you can disagree with what the Bible says, but, but that's what the Bible says about it. Is it's a cheapening of our sexuality that God had intended uh, to bless us with. And then the second is, a, and I'm transposing the order, but it's adulterer. And it means, um, it's kind of funny because it comes off in the Greek almost like macho. Um, it's it's moichos, uh, but it means to be non-faithful or not filled with faith. Isn't that interesting? I say all this because I think we hear these things through a lens, and right we're thinking, oh, this is one of those um, condemnation sermons, you know, like stop doing bad stuff and uh, don't do anything. And, but I think you have to really see that, that there's this treasure that God has given us that we have a tendency in our flesh to make cheap, right? And then there's this tendency we have to not be full of faith. And, and the way that we are called to um, honor marriage and keep the bed pure is by being full of faith. Or we say the word, don't we? faithful. I'll tell you a quick story. One time I was talking to a grown man uh, in a business context, and, um, and, I, and I felt compelled, and I'm not bragging. Just God's like laid on my heart. He's like, you got to talk to this dude. Here's the whole story. The first time I did, I, I copied, I copped out. I was a big wuss. I didn't, God said, hey, tell, talk to this dude about your, not your faith, his faith, because why is he here in my faith, you know? And I'm like, I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. And then Jesus was like, hit me with the stupid stick later, you know? Like, really, like, just, you ever have that happen? None of you? Like, I have that thing where I'm disobedient, and then God's like, hey, stupid, I was talking to you back there. I'm like, I'm walking on the street. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. So I said this to God. I said, if you give me a chance, I'll, I'll talk to him again. And God gave me a chance. Can you believe that? I didn't look at Lord. Here I was. And I went up, and I said, I said, um, are you, I wanted to say, are you a believing man? But I said, are you a faithful man? And he said, no. And then he goes, oh, well, wait, no. I'm faithful, like, in my marriage, but I don't believe in God. Isn't it interesting? That same question could be understood in both contexts. Are you a man of faith? That's interesting to me. And so here he kind of responded in that way. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm faithful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a scumbag. I just don't believe in God. That's interesting to me. I'll share with you um, what we find. Paul, I told you last week in Ephesians, we kind of talked um, about the children's obligation, which is right after these marital obligations, like literally right after this. Um, and this is at the end of the Ephesians teaching on marriage. And it says, however, each of you also should love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, right? And I know, by the way, there's a book out that I've heard great things about I've not read called Love and Respect. Um, and if you want to check that out, I would love to hear your feedback on what that, what, how that reads. I've just heard great things about it. Um, but I think that sometimes we make this kind of like a this is for that and that's for for like his and hers, you know, um, his only job is to love and her only job is to respect. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I, I think that we're called to love and respect one another, right? I think that we're trying to, uh, I do believe there's importance in this text, and so I'm not picking on it. I've read it. I get it. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Respect your husband as you respect Christ as head of the church. I understand that stuff. I'm not trying to get away from it, but I think Man, just like we heard in those songs, respect is a big deal for everybody. How, how, can, we, how can we do that together? Um, so we're called to love and respect our spouse. Now, I told you, coming in, that you might say, 
um, well, this isn't for me because I'm not married, right? So I want to walk through some scripture today, and I want to talk to you a little bit, and we're going to kind of navigate this and see where God has us, but with this idea that how it applies to all of us, not just some of us. So are you still with me? Everybody still tracking, right? We want to figure out for each person listening right now, if you're in this room and listening, how this matters to you that you're called to uh, respect your spouse. And we're going to talk about those ways um, together now. The first is this. Um, discern your call to marriage. I had a real hard time. The order in these things was kind of weird, so the, there, there's no particular order here. But I really felt like we had to talk about this first before we got into the other things, the ways we can respect our spouse. I had a great conversation this week with a dear friend of mine talking about this very issue, um, this kind of idea that, um, th- let me say that uh, singleness is brokenness. I think that is a lie and is not supported by Scripture. Do you understand that? Like, if you remember your Old Testament, you know that, that Adam was in the garden and he had all these animals and stuff and he kept naming them and he could find no suitable helper, right? Like, he had this deep need. And I know that God said then it is not good for man to be alone and so he made Eve and Adam and Eve were together and he loved her, right? And as a matter of fact, yesterday we got to celebrate a marriage at Family Bible Church and um, the, I loved it because on their, on their runner, they put, um, the two shall become one. Like, that's what it says in, in Genesis, you know. He, he, he loved her, and the two became one flesh. Jesus says, it's for the re- that reason that a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and two become one flesh. Um, so this is a, a really big deal for some of us. It's unfortunately been translated into, uh, if, if you aren't married, you're incomplete, and I don't think the Bible supports that, okay? And so uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is um, how can you pray for your spouse and is to discern um, or to um, be in conversation with God and yourself and being honest about are, are you called to be married or not? That's, that's a great place to start this conversation. And there's a, um, a great, pas- a great uh, chapter on this. We're going to turn there. It's going to be um, 1 Corinthians 7 on page 796. Go ahead and turn with me if you would. I want you to get eyes on this so you know I'm not... This whole section of Scripture, by the way, is fantastic. If you wanted to spend some time reading through, if you're, if you're wondering about like single life, married life, life in Jesus, what we're called to do, um, this is a great section of scripture to walk through and to, uh, to read together. Just, just hearing what God has for you in it. So I'm going to back up a little bit into chapter 6, just verse 19, uh, to read this. Well, I'm going to start in 18. It says this. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. Here's the same idea that's shared in Hebrews. Um, All other sin a person commits outside of their body, but the one who sins sexually sins against their own body, right? That's an internalized sin. Do not, uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, this is for believers, but that God is living in you and desires holiness for you, right? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit um, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And that's kind of the undergirding this whole concept then Paul's going to get into about marriage and singleness. Now, for the matters that you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. And, and, and by the way, that means person, not just men. It's good for a person not to marry. Later on, Paul goes on to say, uh, I wish you were all as I am. Um, and Paul was unmarried. I think that we fight a double battle here. I mentioned earlier family groups. And I can tell you, not, not, I mean, a bunch of people have said to me, I don't come to family groups because I'm not in the family. That's not the point of what we're trying to do with family groups. In the church, I've talked to people in this church who said, I don't feel like I belong because I don't, I, I'm, I'm unmarried or I don't, my family won't come with me, or, or whatever it is, or um, I'm estranged from my family. I mean, whatever it is. Um, but that's not the, the gospel. The gospel is that 
God is adopting us into his family as his children, that we're all included. And I hope that somehow, um, through diligence and the Holy Spirit's intervention, family biologists can become to communicate that message more clearly that it's about including one another in God's family. I was amazed, and uh, you know, I'm just thinking about this. I was amazed. We were going through pictures from Nathan and Emily's wedding, and I was looking at the crowds who were there, and I was amazed how many people were there from Family Bible Church, especially in relation to how many people were there from our biological family. And then I thought, well, that makes total sense. And I know I'm the pastor, and so, I mean, I get that's part of it, but I know that they did the invitation list about who, who's in their life. And it was people that they feel connected to. I'm reminded of the scripture that says, um, um, I will give you um, more daughters and children and, and sons in the family of God than you would have on your own. Uh, sometimes we don't see that as being the way that works. But, um, okay, I'm off a rabbit trail. So, but singleness, and Paul says it here, um, that it's not brokenness. I've said that enough. Fair enough? Okay. So, and this whole idea applies to both men and women. Now, it goes on, and we're not going to read through all this stuff, but it goes on to about, you know, um, relationships and marriage. If you're married, I'd encourage you to read this chapter. If you're not married, I'd encourage you to read this chapter. It's so good, but it kind of walks through, like, what we're called to do and interact with each other and how we're supposed to relate to each other and God's intention for it. Um, but there's one key that I want to get to here. Let's see. Um, yeah, Paul says in verse 7, I wish that all men were as I am, uh, but each one has a different gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift, right? Um, let me see where I'm going to find it here. I wasn't going to paraphrase it. All right. We're just going to paraphrase it. I promise you it's in here. But he basically says, um, for those of you who feel called to be married, it's better for you to marry. Because his, his desire is that you would would remain as you are and be fully pleased with Jesus. That's how Paul seems to be, right? But he says, it is better for you to marry than for you to burn with passion, right? It's better for you to marry than you to burn with desire. Or it's better for you to marry than for you to, to basically sin by, by not, you know, because you can't be single. So the first is to say that that's a normative position to be is be single. Um, by the way, single doesn't mean alone. That's something else we talked about. But... Um, so discern that. Is God calling you to marriage wherever you are, right? Now, some of you, maybe, right now are married, and you're like, I'm not sure God's calling me to marriage, and I'm already married, right? We'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> we'll talk about that too, you know? But, but it's an opportunity for you to say, you know, man, God, what are you really doing in my life? Like, what's my life really about? Um, and ultimately, what we want is we want to have his lordship rule over all of us, whether we are single or married, okay? So... Discern that. Are you called to be married? Fair enough. Oh, I know what I was going to say earlier. So part of the, we fight this in the church because there's this kind of sense that like, well, all good Christians get married, all good Christians do this or whatever, you know, but I think that's craziness because God made us all uniquely. But the second thing I think is that the culture at large pushes this message, right? They, they, they're, they're beating that same drum, you know? singleness, brokenness, and all this kind of stuff. And so it's not just a church problem. It's like a cultural problem that, that people are saying things that I think are not biblical, meaning that God knows you, and he knows you intimately, and he loves you where you are, and he wants you to be in a relationship with him. And part of that can be your discerning if you're called to marriage or not. All right? here's a, here's, so that's one way we can, we can um, keep, the marriage, uh, keep the bed pure is by discerning our call to marriage. Here's the second way. We can treat others as family. And I love this. This is actually found in uh, 1 Timothy 5. I think I marked it. Let me see if I did. Yeah. So 1 Timothy 5 um, is a great... Oh, that's not 1 Timothy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. 
1 and 2. This is what the word says. Uh, written to, by the way, let me talk about Timothy for a minute. Timothy's a young leader in the church, and Paul loves him like a son. And he's like, hey, son, I'm going to give you this awesome letter about how you're called to be. Okay? And uh, I, I had an awesome Bible study with some men in our church on First and Second Timothy and Titus. It's amazing. Um, if you've not studied it, it's an awesome thing, especially to do with a group of men, if you're a man. Um, what a powerful time. But this is what the word says. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your, look at the relationship, father. So if you, it starts with kind of relationship. If you have something hard to say to a gentleman who's older, you should not rebuke him harshly. And this is to young Timothy. But you should exhort him as a father. Honor him. Encourage him, right, to do the right things. Then look what it says. Treat younger men as brothers. So you should see other people as brothers, right? Um, and then look at verse 2. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. And then here's the word he throws in. With absolute purity. Isn't that striking? That in the middle of this treaty, some call this a pastoral letter to, the, to Timothy, Paul stops to say, listen, if you're going to correct someone, do it with respect. And, and if you're going to engage with other women, do it as though the older ones are your mom and the younger ones are your sister. I don't know if you're like me, but if I put on those glasses, and I mean, this is for real. Like, if I put on those glasses, it, it, as, as, a, um, as in my case, a man, it helps me so much to go, yes, this, this is my family. The first one was discern if you're called married. The second is to treat everyone like family. That's my mom. That's my sister, right? That's my brother. That's my dad. And by the way, can I just say that I don't think that the problem is just a men's problem. I think you could take this fairly and flip this text and it equally applies. If you're a woman, you look at older men as your father, younger men as your brothers, older women as your mothers, younger women as your sisters. How much would it change our view in our relationship to another, specific to honoring our, our um, respecting our spouses, if we put those glasses on every time we interact with someone else, right? I mean, would that change things? Um, I think it does. I, I know for me, and I need a reminder, but I know for me, that helps me so much to go, right, God, this is my family. And then all of a sudden, I realize that whenever I start to get selfish with my sinful desires, that I'm hurting family. And you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. So we can, we can uh, uh, respect our spouses by wearing those glasses of 1 Timothy 5, um, looking at one another, uh, which is really funny because sometimes I feel like we're so afraid to enter into the, you know, but if you're in your family, you're not afraid. Like, you enter in, you know? You're like interacting. You're giving hugs. You're, you're, you're engaged. But it's, here's the word I always think of, right? Um, uh, benevolent is the word that comes to mind for me. Just love for the sake of love with no agenda. Love that there's nothing you're expecting back. You understand what I'm saying, right? Like, it's, it's not tainted. It's the love for family. And if you enter in, and I think we get tastes and glimpses, man, but I think when we get to heaven, like, that's what it's going to be like. We're going to have that benevolent, genuine, untainted love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to love being together. We're going to genuinely express it. And we get tastes of that here on earth, that we can genuinely um, see others as our family. Opportunities abound um, to do just that. I would encourage you to pray about that, man. Is, is that something that God wants to help you with? In your interaction. By the way, um, we'll, we'll walk ahead here for a minute, but that, that's, um, 
that's interesting because I think we're talking about respecting our spouse, right? <laughs> um, but what you realize is that if you believe a couple of these principles, like that you have to discern whether you're called to be married or not, that singleness is a brokenness, and that everyone uh, is your um, mother or your sister or your brother or your father, right? Um, you have to start to recognize that um, you're respecting someone's spouse if they're called to be married and they're not called to be married to you. Does that make sense? Like, that's a real thing, that the way we treat others matters. Um, our, um, our culture has us so wrong in this way. I, I cannot believe how even inside the church people um, say, well, they're in their 20s, they're sowing their wild oats. It's like, what? What? And then we talk about marriage, like we had, you know, this, and if you're called to be married, and most people who are trying to sow wild oats are probably called to be married, right? If you're, if you're postponing that for the season of whatever, when you enter later with your spouse into your marriage, all that junk comes right in with you. All of your wild oats sowing just comes right into the marriage bed, man. And it's just, and it's a mess, See, God doesn't say, don't do things because he wants to. He's mean God, mean God, no fun for you. No, that's not it at all, man. God's like, I love you so much. I want you to have the absolute best. And don't drag all this crap into the bed. But I have talked to people in the church who say, ah, they're just sowing wild oats. Oh, how, 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 how unfortunate that we believe that's true. By the way, there's a great little um, book that I just recently read called Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. If you've not read it, I would recommend you check it out. You can read it like in four hours or whatever. It's amazing because he ministers to college students at his church. That's what his primary campus is on a college campus. And um, he says that so many college students are trying to not, you know, uh, answer this call to marriage. They're waiting until all the dots are lined up and it's killing them, you know. And he's like, no, what are you doing that for? I agree with Kevin DeYoung on that. Um, man, why, why spend that season wasting years when you can be building um, a God-honoring relationship? Huge, huge thing to consider. All right, here's the next thing, right? And this applies to all of us. You can pray. Uh, let's see here. Pray for your spouse. Now, I want to talk about this in, in two specific ways. Um, the first is that we talked about discerning if it's God's desire or if it's your desire the way God's made you. Um, but then the second is to pray, to really start praying for your spouse. Um, like right now, we, we were um, talking to some friends who have small children, and we, we were talking, hey, have you prayed, prayed for your, your, the spouse, your children's spouses if they're called to be married? You can do that right now, wherever you are. And we got some babies, like little babies. I know Chris was holding Joel this morning. And we get, do you pray, God, if you're if you were calling this young man or woman to be married, would you would you be preparing the young man or woman that you're calling? Not that there's just a perfect one, but that one would be understand this. It's one way we can do that. And we can pray uh, for our spouse um, before we're married, before we've met our spouse. We can pray for our spouse when we're married. We can pray for our spouse um, after we're married. I know some of you are like, that's crazy talk, right? I mean, I'm telling you, you will be amazed how God will change your heart. God, I just want to pray for that person. I just, I, just want, I, I just want, you know, your best for them. I mean, talk about processing hurts and stuff or, or giving freedom. A little caveat here I could say is... Um, there's a tendency to be, try to be God to our spouse. That's not our call. 
man, God has made us and he knows us. He's redeeming us. But we can pray, God, have your way with my husband and wife. I trust you completely. I'm faithful. Are you, are you a faithful man or woman? Yeah, I'm faithful. God, I trust you and what you're doing in this. God, would you, would you work in my spouse's heart and life and maybe you don't know him or her yet? Would you work in their life? Would you bless them so when we're together, we will glorify you? The crazy thing is this. I have sat with young men and women who have struggled with this question, okay? And, and, I, and it is a risky journey, and I get that, man, to, to first of all say, man, I know I'm called to be married. I want to be married and all that stuff. But then to take your, like, precious, you know, desire and bring it to God and say, God, this is what I really, really, really want, and then wait for him. God, you know my heart. You know what I want. Every time I talk about that kind of bold, crazy prayer, I always come to guard Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, I, I don't want to do this, but if there's, if there's another way, and then Jesus says, but whatever you want, I want. I mean, that's a mature prayer. And the crazy thing is that I have seen God repeatedly. When people walk through that process, he's repeatedly blessed them. The word says what? Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I know what you need before you ask me for it. I made you. And I get that that's a crazy, bold prayer. But man, Jesus prayed it. And, and I don't know, but pray that way. God, make a way. All right. I talked earlier and I said some of you um, may be in a marriage right now and um, you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I want to be in this marriage anymore. Uh, I'm not sure that this is really... Um, what God has for me, I, I, I was at college um, going to school and I met with a gentleman who was a second, uh, second career pastor like myself, really passionate, full of um, the Holy Spirit and that, you know, boldness, just really on fire and wanting to share the gospel with the world. And he'd been married for several years, but his wife was not interested. And it was a real burden for him. He's like, man, what do I do? What do I do with this? You know, and so we went out and we grabbed the coffee, you know, and he's like, I, I think God told me I should divorce my wife. To go into ministry. And I was just slack-jawed. What? I've talked to couples who said, well, you know, I got married, but I was young, and I was stupid. I didn't know what I was doing, and um, now it's been many years, and it's hard. And I'm like, what? Well, yeah. Uh, well, I wasn't a believer when I got married, and so God wasn't honored by that marriage, but now that I'm a believer, and my husband's a heathen, and my wife's a, a heathen, and, and the only way to honor God is to divorce them. What? Nah. Look with me. Um, this is in, uh, I'll, I'll pull up here on the screen for you. You can turn if you want. This is back in 1 Corinthians 7, by the way. This is what the word says. Um, nevertheless, Paul writes, in talking about singleness and marriedness, nevertheless, uh, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him or them, her, and to which God has called him or her. This is the rule that I lay down in all the churches. You see, this idea that we met Jesus and now nothing counts anymore, that was a mistake back then. And the question that I have for everyone that says that is, what, was God absent that day? I mean, my confession about my own marriage vows is I didn't know what I was doing. But God did, right? Like, was he not asleep? Oh, sorry, I missed that one. Oops, you made a mistake while I was away, Bill. But okay, we'll start again. No, no, no. The, the, the scripture says that God created everything. And God created us and God knows what he's doing. You say, yeah, but there's sin in it. I was a sinner. My spouse is a sinner. Right? But Jesus is the redeemer of sinners. You see, Jesus doesn't take us in the gospel back to make us pure again. 
He doesn't take us back before our mistakes and go, oh, look how pristine you were. No, he takes us out of the garbage pile of life and he shakes us and he purifies us and he pours his Holy Spirit into us that the, the crap just oozes out of our pores because he claims us. You're holy children. You're mine. And if you have that kind of a mature understanding of the gospel, then you look at your life and you say, God, you called me into this marriage and it's really hard right now, but you show me how we can move forward. You show me how I can honor you by respecting my husband and my wife. Paul says exactly those things. If you read, I told you earlier, read chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. You'll see all this in there. He says this also. Each one should remain in the situation in which they were when God called them. You stay there, right? Recognize that God is God of your life and that he's not a mistake and that you can find your way forward and honor him through that situation. And then lastly, he says this in 24, he says, brothers and sisters, each person is, um, as though responsible to God, should remain in the situation that God has called him to. So we're called to continue on. Paul even uses this to exhort those who are single to consider continuing singleness. That's in there. He says, if you've got that gift, don't, you know, live in that space. Live in that space with Jesus. Um, so honor where God has you right now in your life. And uh, just seek that out as a great way to respect your spouse. It's very explicitly said in there. It's so funny to me because you think, well, this is, this is crazy. But it explicitly says in there, if you're believing your spouse isn't, keep, and they'll tolerate you, stay married, right? Um, keep on keeping on. All right. And then, then the last thing I want to say is this, and this is kind of the overarching principle. We talked about this, like, you know, how are we, how are we called uh, to be pure and, and all these things, and it's this. Remember that, I'm going to push forward one more time. Oh, did I have it there already? Wait, wait, wait. Let's check this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So remember that we all belong to Jesus. Remember that we all belong to Jesus. So here's a crazy story for you from Scripture. Um, Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and legal, uh, religious people and whatever. And they come to him and they say, um, hey, we have a tricky question for you. And they ask this question about if a brother marries a woman and the brother dies and then she's married by the other brother and the brother dies and she marries the next brother and the brother dies and like the fifth or sixth brother or whatever gets to marry this lady who's had a very unfortunate turn of events with her husbands, if you think about the narrative. I can only be light because it wasn't a real situation. They were just saying, hypothetically, if a, if a lady loses seven husbands in a row and the eighth brother marries her, when she gets to heaven, whose wife will she be? And do you know what the answer Jesus gave? In heaven there's no marriage, nor is anyone given in marriage. Go, what? What? You see, ultimately, we can contextualize this whole conversation about how we're called to honor our spouses and honor each other and see each other as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers because ultimately, in heaven, we are God's people and we belong to him. As a matter of fact, I believe that we are indeed the bride of Christ, that we've been prepared for the perfect marriage. In, um, in Ephesians 5, 31, Paul says this. Earlier we said, you know, a, a husband should um, love his wife and a wife should respect her husband. But right before that, Paul says this. When I'm talking about marriage with you, church, I'm talking about a profound mystery, and that is Christ and his church. And then he goes on to say, husbands. But anyway, husbands, love your wives and wives respect your husbands. That there's some powerful mystery in marriage that's a foretaste of what God is doing for all of us, single or married, in heaven. 
that he, are, he is claiming us as his own. He is preparing us for the wedding feast, and he is making us pure and holy and spotless for the day. Tim Keller has a great book on marriage right now, and it talks about how our marriage, when rightly seen, is a tool of sanctification for those who can't get there without it. <laughs> you know, it really is like a, a, a plan B for people who, are, who struggle with uh, holiness. Um, sanctification. We all belong to Jesus. I want to share with you, lastly, um, this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. First, we just had a great conversation at um, men's Bible study about this idea of the bride of Christ. Check this out. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth again about these matters. And he says this. Paul says, I am jealous for you, church, with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, that is Christ, so that I might present you as a virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Because if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that we've preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, <coughs> in Jesus is implied there, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you tolerate that change easy enough. His over arching concern is that the church be presented to God as holy, it says here, as a virgin ready for marriage. We should remember then that we all ultimately belong to Jesus, that this earthly matter is passing away, and that even this long season of life, whether we're single or married, widowed or widower, divorced, separated, is a season before the restoration in the kingdom of God. We have to see that. Last thing then. All of a sudden, if you take that overarching truth and you back under every one of the truths, discerning the call to be married and praying for your spouse and all these different things in here, what you realize if you see it rightly is that all you're doing, nothing more, nothing less, is honoring God in this part of your life. We're honoring our ultimate spouse in Jesus Christ. Oh, God, would you make it very clear to us for called to be married? Would you make it very clear to us that these are brothers and sisters in Christ, or fathers and brothers in Christ, and not to be abused or taken advantage of for our own pleasure? Oh, God, would you make us holy and pure in your name? Would you call us toward the heavenly calling? Would you, would you have that be the most powerful thing in our lives? That we could rebuke the lies of the devil. That we could be blessed and be a blessing. And I mean to tell you, I don't care how old or young you are in this room right now, if you seek God with that kind of focus and clarity, He will be glorified and you'll be blessed. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of the great marriage supper. And we thank you so much that, that this whole coming of Jesus, this whole presence-oriented ministry he had was to show us his great love for us, his passion for his people. I thank you so much that you don't leave us stuck in that garbage bin of life where this is, everything stinks and it's broken, but you call us out of it. Oh God, that we would be part of the proclamation of a gospel that says you rescued us. You saved us. You're redeeming us. For those of us today here who are really struggling and we say, man, God, we, 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 
We don't know what we're called to do. Would you bring clarity in our lives? Would you allow us to focus on you? Would you encourage us, your spirit, to focus on you first and then worry about the stuff, the trappings later? Father, for those of us who are in situations right now, we, how do we get here? How Would you find us the path to, to bring um, righteousness and restoration in that relationship? If there's ways we need to honor you, if, if we do, if we, if we feel called to be married, but we've never admitted that to you, would we be honest with ourselves and then pursue marriage? Father God, would you show us, and I mean it all the way across the board, would you show us how we are called to keep this bed pure, this bed that you gave us for good? Help us to do that work. All of us need your intervention. All of us need your guidance in this. Would you teach us how to be men and women of God? Men and uh, sons and daughters as children of yours. And we trust you with it. We pray as we respond. We pray as we respond that you will continue to move in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.